Welcome to Lock It Down Sports. I'm your host, as always, Lock Hoover. Thank you for joining me tonight, as there's so much, I mean so much, to get into. I mean, we're going to get into the bowl games. We're going to get into, of course, college football championship games. We're going to get into an offensive coordinator's quick uh, stop, pit stop, and now he's off to another place. But first, let me tell you about my friends at Stream Studio. It's a multi-camera live streaming platform that allows you to go live in less than one minute. It is a video podcasting live webinar streaming platform that allows you to stream to multiple platforms all at the same time. Now, like I said, we're going to get into bowl games, and I'm not the biggest fan of bowl games. Yes, some are better than others, but as a whole, a lot of it is just TV program filling for ESPN. I mean, how many games does ESPN, because ESPN owns a handful of games that are their bowls, that, that they own. So it's very, um, it's a lot of it is programming for them. And it's it's a bowl game, half the people sitting out. It's hard to really know your team, what team you have actually showing up. And what coaches are going to do, and that's very much in the case in uh, Ole Miss and Texas Tech, where Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss, they lost to Texas Tech. But some of the things they were doing early on in the first quarter, going for it on fourth down and one or two or three on about their – they went once on their about their 20-yard line and once on their 10-yard line. Of course, they wouldn't do that in a regular game. I mean, there's no way in the world if they're facing a Mississippi State, an Alabama, an Auburn. They're going for it on a fourth and two or three at their own 10-yard line. That's not happening because it puts them in a, obviously, they don't get it, an automatic point scoring situation where at minimum, it's a field goal for the other team. So that's bowl games. And I feel like to me, that was almost what Lane Kiffin was treating it as. You know what? It's a bowl game. Let's have some fun. Let's just see what happens here. And obviously, we saw Ole Miss lose to Texas A&M. And then... I mean, this other game, a wild, weird, just game how it turned out. This Arkansas-Kansas game. I mean, how Kansas got down big behind at Ar- uh, playing against Arkansas. And then they hit an onside kick late. They score again. They score again. They're down 18 and they in the fourth quarter and they tie it up. They go into overtime, and Arkansas is able to pull it out. But it's like that sort of thing to me is stuff that I feel like would not happen in a regular season. I mean, obviously, all the Lane Kiffin stuff seems very rare that a team would blow a – yes, of course, it always happens. There's always leads that get blown, obviously. But in a college football game, two average teams, nothing special – not high-powered 
offenses in the least bit are going doing that offensively. Yeah, it was a high score, but that's just how weird the weird nature of bowl games. I think some of it too is just like how much does a team actually prepare for their opponent, you know? Because the big thing for them is getting that those 15 additional bowl practices where they can work on some other stuff. They see some younger kids. Then how much is it to actually focus on the opponent that they're playing? Yeah, I think it's some, but I don't think it's the full 15 days worth of preparation for that opponent. Now, talking about good bowl games, and I won't call them bowl games, obviously the two playoff games, we finally, finally, finally got two Two good playoff games. Most of the time it's a blowout, a 14 to 17 point victory, and then a sometimes close game on the other one or not. We finally got two good close games, Ohio State and Georgia, which we'll get into a little bit later. And then, of course, TCU and Michigan as well, who we'll get into later as well. So finally, I can say, Two good bowl uh, playoff games, which, like I said, it's been very rare in that in this occasion. Now, not really a big surprise in this, based on his track record, is Bobby Petrino going to Texas A&M after, shall I say, a brief, brief tenure at UNLV, as he was the he was a coach at most recently last three years at Missouri state and he went, then he got an offensive coordinator offer to go to UNLV while still talking to Texas A&M. And here's my thing with this. I get it. Okay. I think the first in first instance is he didn't want the musical chair to drop and him not be sitting at one at a Division One school. So he said, yes, I'm going to go to UNLV, even though I'm still talking to Texas A&M. I think this happens everywhere. If you're weighing job, and just think about the real world. If you're weighing job offers, and one offers you first that has less money, maybe not as good benefits, Maybe not as good vacation time, but you haven't heard from the other job yet. What are you going to do? You're going to say yes, obviously, because it's an upgrade at where you currently were. So you're going to go do your job, hoping that maybe you get that other offer. Same thing with Bobby Petrino. No different than in the work, the real world. Yes, it the coaches what they make is crazy money-wise, for sure, no doubt. But in the real-world situation, you do the exact same thing as Bobby Petrino, and I don't, I don't blame him. Do I want to go beat UNLV or Texas A&M? Hmm, let me think here. It's pretty easy. Now, that'll be the interesting part when he, when he starts at Texas A&M with Jimbo Fisher, supposed to be a good offensive-minded guy. Bobby Petrino... As much of a um, jerk 
and bad human being that he is, he's a good offensive mind, a good football coach. There's no, there's no denying that at all. So we're going to see how much of it he jump starts the Texas A&M offense because they're not lacking talent. They're not lacking resources. They can go recruit. That's not an issue either. So it's a good spot. It's a good landing spot. Let's see if he's able to mesh and get connected with the offensive players and group at Texas A&M. And then this part is absolutely hilarious. SoFi Stadium has said, and college football has said, they will not allow tailgating in the parking lot. I mean, it's only the biggest game of the year. No big deal. And I I wonder if some of it is because SoFi has never seen this many people in their parking lots and stadiums for the crowds. And that's the issue. (laughs) I mean, that's going to be selling, obviously. I don't think Matt Stafford has ever, 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 ever seen a full stadium or any of the Rams players at their stadium. It's LA. Why show up? I've got 15 other things I can do. The weather's nice. There's entertainment. I'll I'll get there late, leave early. That, that, what's that? What's a full stadium? Maybe maybe that's it. They don't know how to handle it. A full stadium of parking and fans showing up. Now they did say they wouldn't um, they wouldn't be upset if their people were having a cooler and a few few alcoholic beverages and drinks, but they don't want the tents. They don't want the party, the enjoyment before time, beforehand. Yep, exactly what I'm thinking. You're exactly what I'm thinking to it. Makes zero sense. It's college football. That's in the DNA of it. Tailgating, the pregame, all beforehand. It'll be hard to monitor. I mean, everybody there is going to have food and coolers and little grills, I would imagine. But maybe they don't want the pop-up tents, and that's the biggest thing. But come on. It's only the national championship game. It's not like it's a big deal or anything. Now, something that was a big deal to me was going to see how Joe Milton played at quarterback for Tennessee against Clemson in the Orange Bowl. Big game for him, for sure. His second start this year after Hooker went down, where he started Vanderbilt, looked good, threw it out, threw it all around. But also, here's the two things. Crappy conditions, it was raining, and it was Vanderbilt. Not the uh, most prolific offense or defense of team. So that was my really big interest point in this game with between Clemson and Tennessee. And Joe Milton absolutely looked the part. His short passes, sharp, had touch. First touchdown pass tonight, crisp, threw it right on the money where he needed it, needed to, needed it to be. On the money. Second drive, very smooth. Yeah, he sputtered a little bit that second or 
that a few drives after that first touchdown, but that second touchdown drive, smooth, actual deep pass with accuracy, smoother on the shorter pass as well. Watching, yeah, he yeah, he wasn't perfect, of course. No one's going to be, obviously. He missed that one low throw on that third down. Was it catchable? Yeah, it was catchable for sure. But it wasn't a spike in the grass or 17 feet over his head and into the defender's hand. That's what that's what he needs to do. So that was the two things I was very impressed with from a offensive standpoint and what they did. I think another thing I did notice in that game with Milton, Milton's a big dude, 6'4", 6'5", 230, 225, 230. Stout, cut guy. He had a few more design runs than Hooker as a whole. Hooker wanted to stand in the pocket, and yeah, he could run. He was he was mobile, but there weren't very there were very rarely to me design runs for a Hooker. Joe Milton he had a few design runs. He's bigger body. He can hold up. He can handle the hit. I, a few more hits or, or two other than um, Hooker. So that'll be something to watch, too, in the offense as well going into next year with Joe Milton. Now, I think these two games pretty much solidified Hooker is going to be, excuse Hooker, that uh, Joe Milton is going to be the starter next year. Without a doubt, yes, there'll be the preliminary. We're going to battle it in camp between Milton, Jackson, the four-star from last year, and then the incoming the incoming five-star from this year. It's, it's Milton's job. Unless he completely tanks, tanks it, which I don't see that happening, and he struggles his first two or three games, outside of that, it's his job. He's got locked up. The, also, the other thing, too, the receiving court. The exact receiving core you saw tonight uh, in that game was the exact receiving core starting three for the most part, unless they have another transfer come in, which, you know, they're talking and you never know. Right now, with Squirrel, Squirrel White, um, Brew McCoy, and um, Raymond Kilton. That's your starting three next year. You got Warren coming back at tight end as well for his fifth year. That's your offense. You're set. Yes, you have other guys filter in in the rotation, but your starting three and your tight end is all coming back. And you saw that in the game. So offensively, Tennessee's in a good spot quarterback and receiving-wise. You got your two running backs coming back as well. Our, well, obviously, you're going to say three with the, with the freshman as well, but your two stars and the one that played a little bit last year in Wright, Small, and Sampson. Your offense is set from the skilled position. They're in good shape offensively. It's going to, once again, what are they going to be able to do defensively in order to do enough? And that's really been the key of what I was saying all year with Tennessee. Do enough. You don't have to be great. Do enough for your offense. 
And that's where I think that's all you can ask for. And that's what they're hoping. So before we get into TCU in Michigan, the start of the first playoff game, I want to tell you about my friends at Stream Studio. It's a multi-camera live streaming platform that allows you to go live in less than a minute. It is a video podcasting live webinar streaming platform that allows you to stream to multiple platforms at the same time. Check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. You might actually like using it as well. Now, TCU, Michigan. First game of the of the playoff. It was intriguing. I uh, I raised my hand. If you're watching me on camera right here, hand raised, you can see it. I thought Michigan was a win. I thought they were a better team. And I thought they were going to be able to run the ball like they did against Ohio State and like they did most of the year. Pound the ball, pound the rock, wear and lean on TCU, and win. Obviously, that didn't happen. The one thing that kind of really did concern me was uh, Michigan's very first touchdown attempt and drive. On that on that touchdown, I mean, a touchdown attempt, I was fine with them going for it on fourth down. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, it'd be safe to take the points, take that, that give me three right there. But playoff game to try to get the national championship. Let me set a tone to establish myself and get this early touchdown, or excuse me, first down, could obviously turn into a touchdown as well. They tried to run this trick play, the Philly special, and that's when I, right then and there, I was like, huh, really? This early in the game, you just hit that big run to get down there, or, or some gap gaps runs to get down there, and you try a trick play to punch it into the end zone, real head scratcher. So that was the only thing that was kind of uh, concerning a bit for me for TC, I mean, excuse me, for Michigan. But overall, it was a very sloppy back and forth game for both of them. I mean, three turnovers each. It was like that fourth quarter, like fireworks are shooting off of, okay, you score, now I score, now you score, now I score, back and forth like that. And it was, it, it was, it was different in, in that sense of, eh, what's defense? Who needs that, right? And that's not going to get it done at all for TCU against Georgia, who we'll, I'll get into that TCU-Georgia matchup here in a little, little bit later as well. Speaking of Georgia, man, oh man, that Georgia-Ohio State game. Was that a game? Man, oh man. And Ohio State, great game plan, great execution offensively all the way through. I mean, it, I, you, I, I thought Georgia was going to win for sure. But I didn't think they would win like that. 
But first, I mean, let, let's kind of go through this a little bit. In that second quarter, that was a huge turnover by Stetson. In the second, when 11 minutes left, it's like, okay, Georgia's defense has been good all year. What does Ohio State do? All right, no big deal. We respond with a touchdown. So at that point, Ohio State's up 21 to 7. So 11, 11 minutes left in the second. Big games, important games. That's exactly what you do. You respond on a good team and make that touchdown, turn that, that turnover into a touchdown. And it, that's, that's what you do in that situation. Now, around the 10.07 mark-ish, give or take a little bit, you know, I kind of feel like Stetson was doing too much when he passed the, passed the line of scrimmage. Could've, he could have ran it a few yards instead. Kept the kept it going. Didn't have that. You wouldn't have to take the penalty. Now, obviously, it ultimately didn't matter because Georgia ended up scoring a touchdown on that drive. But just like watching that game, Georgia being down early, right after that pick and that touchdown by Ohio State, Stetson's trying to make a big play right there, and it felt I felt like he was pushing it and trying to do too much. Like I said, granted, it ended up not mattering because they scored in that drive. But in that situation, that moment, that time, I was like, huh, Stetson, that's uh, that's not the, not the best play. And then Georgia obviously had that huge third touchdown which kind of which kind of set set this game back into motion of all right Georgia's back in this you never thought they were out of it but it's kind of solidified okay here we go and then a bad bad defense right before half a bad defensive series for Georgia Paul State's been able to score and make it 28-24 before half and to, uh, watching this game, Stroud had plenty of time to do whatever, whatever he wanted to, really, through three quarters. A li- most of the fourth quarter, two to it got late. Interesting enough, though, I went back and looked. He was sacked a few times. He was sacked four times. And in that, uh, later in the third, in that fourth quarter, you could tell Georgia was bringing more guys, which they hadn't done a whole lot this year a lot of times they'd be three or four they'd get they'd get pressure and they'd be fine or they get that coverage sack or being incomplete or whatever georgia brought a few more guys against strout and they were getting to him they were able to get to him and it obviously was successful now in that game too it, I mean, Ringo looked like he was getting beat to me at corner. He was. He looked like he was getting beat, gave him some big plays. And, um, yeah, it was, it wasn't a good look. It obviously didn't help him. Now, once we get into the fourth quarter, obviously it's tight. 
And once Georgia uh, was driving that fourth quarter, once again, Stetson, huge, obviously. Made plays, made throws in that fourth quarter. Clutch, clutch, clutch. But watching that drive, I was trying to figure out why Georgia was snapping the ball with around 10 to 15 seconds left on the clock. Especially that go-ahead touchdown. Ohio State had been run up and down the field on the all night, so them scoring and offensive, offensively wasn't a problem. Thinking, Georgia, you might have left too much time on the clock. You might have left too much time on the clock. Why are you snapping it with 10 to 15 seconds left? Ohio State's got two timeouts. And that's exactly what they did. They gave Ohio State more time to score that field goal. So, I mean, obviously, opportunity to score that field goal. Now, we know what happened ultimately, but that last drive, Ohio State had plenty of time. They had their timeouts. That last drive, they didn't get close and obviously close enough. And some of that play calling to me was a little questionable. They could do anything they wanted with two timeouts to get them even remotely closer. They didn't. Also on that drive, too, that last drive, it does make you wonder, without Marvin Harris there, Marvin Harris Jr., what the outlook would have been. Yes, I know Georgia didn't have Darnell Washington 90, uh, 95% of the game either. I get it. Sure. He's not, a du- he's not their main dude like Marvin Harris. Yes, you have to overcome injuries. And adversity and all of that, of course. But it does make me wonder if the result would have been any different with Marvin Harris in the lineup for that drive. Something to watch. I mean, it would have been something to watch and and see. But here we are. We got TCU, Georgia squaring off in the national championship game. Two very compelling stories to me on opposite ends. On one result, it's really hard to repeat as a national championship and repeat as a championship anything. Baseball, basketball, football, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. Any big sport, it's hard to repeat. Georgia, trying to do it again. Then you get TCU whose last claimed national championship is 1935 and then in 1938 as well. Did they win one? I don't know. I wasn't born. I didn't see. And in the era of what they've been just claiming national championships, that they claim, that's when they claim theirs. So, okay. Sure. All right. Another interesting thing about this, too, is they just became a Power 5 school in 2012. 2012. Conference they were Conference USA for a hot minute. Mountain West for a hot minute. And then now, obviously, the Big 12. So, 
It's actually kind of funny. I'm racking my brain. I think there's a big, a first pack, uh, big 12 school in the championship game, right? I know how state, I mean, excuse me, Oklahoma's made it to um, a few uh, semifinal games, but I have to double check that. I want to say the Horn Frogs are the first um, Big 12 school to make it. And then the other interesting thing about TCU is this is Sonny Dyke's first year as their head coach. Another interesting thing about this with him. The only winning season he's had at a Power 5 school was Cal, where it's 8-5. and five. He's had four seasons, had one at a Power 5 school, not counting this one. So this would be his, excuse me, this would be his fifth. 8-5 and five has been his best record at a Power 5 school outside of this year. That's something. So good for him. And then also, too, Staying with TCU here, they fired their long, long time, beloved, well-respected defensive coordinator, and then obviously becomes a head coach for a long time in Gary Patterson. He's got a statue at TCU. Okay? Yeah, that's something. And here they are in the national championship against the defending champs in Georgia. I think Georgia's going to win. I do. They're a 13.5-point favorite. And Georgia's going to do what they're going to do. They're going to run the ball. They're going to get to Darnell Washington. And Stetson's going to make some clutch throw. That's what he's been doing his career. And Georgia has TCU beat in almost every statistical category, except for a few. So scoring offense and rushing yards per game, the Horned Frogs got them. But, you know, so so what? I, do I think Georgia's a better team? Yeah, I do. Both teams need to play better than they did in the national championship game, without a doubt. Coach will tell you that. Kirby definitely not happy with how the offense and sets in played. And you have three turnovers? Very rarely are you going to win a game with three turnovers, unless the other team gives you three turnovers as well, which is obviously what happened in the Michigan game. One of TCU's turnovers was a pick six. That's very rarely going to happen. Three turnovers, one being picked, and you're able to win the game. Rare, rare, rare. Georgia hangs on to the football. They're good with the football. And that's, I mean, that's what's going to happen. I think they said it's, I think it's going to be TCU. I mean, Georgia's going to win this game. Obviously, we're going to find out Monday night, 8 o'clock, excuse me, 9 o'clock. Should be a good one. There's all the, of course, all the different um, ways to watch it. The regular broadcast, the home broadcast of Georgia and TCU, the coaches' film room, there's, you know, 9 billion different ones. They're all interesting, fun to check out. I always enjoy, of course, the regular game broadcast, and then usually the coaches' film room broadcast as well. 
of coaches breaking down, calling down plays. Curious to see who they have there as coaches to break that stuff down. It's usually always a coach that's played a full, both teams. Hard to do, but if they can get it that way, they will. So a lot of options. Should be a fun one. And then after that, it's going to be a long, sad, dry spot of no more college football until next year. I know. I know. Because recruiting's done, basically. Now it's just the portal. Where do your kids land in the portal? That's going to be the only other thing to track for college football until the start of next August. It's winding its way down. Sadly and unfortunately. That's all I got tonight. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Lock It Up Media. That's Lock It Up Media. You can find us everywhere. Apple, Spotify, all the big ones. Podcast is there. You've been listening to Lockdown Sports. Thanks. Have